Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Today, I'll be chatting with my friend and producer, Sue Merlino, about the subject of sexual healing. And what I'm going to be focusing on with Sue is really a conversation about sober sex, because when somebody is in recovery from sexual addiction, we don't want to leave them out in the cold, right? We want to help them find a more satisfying, pleasurable, and fun sex life. And that's really what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at sexual health, sober sex, and what it means to grow as a sexual being. Thank you so much, as always, Sue, for being here with me today. Oh, great to be here. Excellent. I'm really pleased that we're going to be focusing on this topic today because it's an overlooked topic, really. I mean, sometimes what, what happens is it's so overlooked that... Oftentimes, there's a frustration level that happens with sex addicts who are wanting to have healthier, more pleasurable sexual activities, but just don't know how to get there. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about how that works and, and the doors that need to be opened in that direction. Yeah, I would, I would assume there would be some confusion there. So it's good to, uh, to address this. So let's, Absolutely. let's just talk about a little bit about the title of your book is called It's Not About the Sex, as is the name of your podcast. Um, yet today, the topic happens to be about sexual healing. So that seems a bit contradictory, and I'm sure you have a reason for this. So can you um, explain a little bit about sexual healing? Absolutely. So not only is sex addiction recovery about healing in general, and healing the underlying pain, healing the feelings of shame and suffering that go along with sex addiction oftentimes. But we're really talking about what now, right? What, what, what now that we've gotten rid of the more destructive or self-destructive behaviors, what, what is it going to take to really enjoy a sex life again? So in addition to mental health and physical health, you also use the term sexual health in your book. Can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. So sexual health is something that has been developing through the years as a concept and as something that has been defined actually by clinical sex therapists, sexologists, sex coaches for many, many years now. And the recent definition that I believe is so important for us to look at and talk about today, it actually comes from the World Health Organization. And the World Health Organization really oversees mental health and oversees all kinds of issues that have to do with really having well-being in one's life. And so even though they focus on mental health, they also talk about things like physical health and sexual health. So with that said, I'm going to actually read the definition that they came up with because I think it's so important. 
sexual health is a state of physical, emotional, mental, and social well-being in relation to sexuality. It is not merely the absence of disease, dysfunction, or infirmity. Sexual health requires a positive and respectful approach to sexuality and sexual relationships, as well as the possibility of having pleasurable and safe sexual experiences, free of coercion, discrimination, and violence. For sexual health to be attained and maintained, the sexual rights of all persons must be respected, protected, and fulfilled. That's quite a, an extensive definition. But the reason why I feel it's so important to bring that into our conversation is because this is not something to be taken lightly. This is something that has been put together by literally hundreds of experts in the field to try and come up with what sexual health really means and how each and every one of us, regardless of our background, ha can, can experience more fully in one's life. So I see the words like positive and and respectful in that definition and um, having pleasurable and, and safe sex experiences are very powerful. And it makes sense. I mean, even if you use those words in mental health and regular health, you know, to have that as, I guess it's the common word is health here, um, to be positive and pleasurable and, and safe um, is very important. So it's good that they have those in there. Can you break this down a little more for us? Absolutely. So just the words themselves are very powerful, right? We're talking about positive, respectful, right? So positive and respectful. We're talking about pleasurable and safe. So positive, respectful, pleasurable, and safe. So if we put all those words together, we're really talking about something that is quite the opposite of sex addiction, because generally in sex addiction, there's a compulsivity, there's a secrecy, there's a sometimes a crossing of boundaries or even disrespect that can go on at times. But what the World Health Organization is proposing is that how can all of us have these safe, positive, respectful, pleasurable experiences that, that really can be defined by each and every person as an individual? I mean, there is no one-size-fits-all here. Yeah. It's really about determining for yourself how does this ultimately fit for you. So do you think that if someone is in a, in a relationship but it's not like pleasurable, then that's a red flag. Like there's something that pops up for them that they need to figure out why. But if they're like a sex addict and they find pleasure in that, because you could find pleasure in, in your addiction, obviously you wouldn't be doing it. Um, so you're getting something out of it. Um, how, would, how would they go about changing that dynamic from the addiction to the respectful relationship that they're in? It's a great question. And again, there's no one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter right, answer right. to sure. what you're saying. But really what we're hoping is that we're introducing the idea that everyone has a right to sexual health, right? Each and every person on the planet has a right to feeling sexually healthy. 
and how you define that. And oftentimes that's with a professional because it's not the easiest thing to talk about, number one. But number two, it's something that really is a soul-searching question, right? Like, who am I to say whether or not somebody who, I don't know, for instance, has fetishes, um, which many of us do in one way or another, um, that, that somehow there's a right or wrong. If that's safe and respectful and pleasurable and fun, go for it, right? So I'm really a believer in sex positivity in the sense that I really want to talk with my clients about what is it that their body is really telling them? What is it that their spirit is really telling them? What is it that would be sexually um, innovative for them or would be fun or improvisational or free? Oftentimes in sex addiction, it feels like most people would say that they feel locked into a behavior or locked into the compulsion. And, and so there's not as much of a repertoire available. And in sexual health or moving in the direction of feeling more freedom, less trapped, that that's really an ideal movement, an ideal a part of the healing. I can see that there would be a lot of work around all of that. Um, in your book, you talk a little bit about um, the erotic template. Can you say more about this and how this fits into a sex-positive approach to sex health? Sure. An erotic template is actually very simple. It's what turns us on the most, right? And every single person has a different erotic template. So we have different parts of our body that get turned on. We have different parts of our brain that get turned on. And anything that contributes to feeling the eroticism that goes along with touch and with uh, different body parts and with different uh, sexual acts are all part of our erotic template. And so, again, the idea of limiting that is really not what this is about. It's actually about expanding one's repertoire in the direction of safe and respectful and positive and pleasurable activities and exploration. And so I'm very much a believer in having clients feel more expansive rather than more contracted. Do you feel like there's a lot of um, stops around that or, or holds on that where people don't feel like they can be open to talk about that or... Um, like I know growing up, like sex was never discussed and, you know, and then you get into an issue, you don't know how to resolve it. I would think that breaking down those walls of communication would be a very important thing to do. Well, I think you're talking about something that many of us grew up with, which is kind of a puritanical belief system of what's right and what's wrong. And I don't see our erotic templates or our sexual healing or sober sex as a right or wrong. I see it as an exploration. I see it as a discovery process. And so when a sex addict has been stuck in certain behaviors for a long period of time, what we're looking at is, well, what really works for them today and what doesn't work? So there's a transition. Sometimes they need to take a break, right? Sometimes they'll take a certain period of time, maybe of abstinence from everything, including masturbation, just to kind of reset the uh, the brain, you know, for 
people who are into porn, as an example, and use porn every day, multiple times a day, their brain is hijacked. And, and what the research is showing is it takes about six to 12 months for them to reset. And so not that they have to be completely abstinent or, or celibate, but it is something to consider to take a break and then to open the conversation and to be really honest with oneself about what is it that I really want sexually? What is it that would really feel like more fulfilling and more fun and more free? You also talk quite a bit about sober sex. Uh, tell me more about that and how it fits into long-term recovery from sex addiction. Well, sober sex is what has come to be called the transition time between the sexually addictive behavior and what it means to feel more sober with one's sexual choices. And so that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But what I thought I would do is actually share a little bit from those I interviewed in my book, because I think they actually say it even better than I do. So Alex was asked this question, do you believe that you're a healthy sexual be being? If so, how? If not, why not? And he said, I would like to be with somebody who I have a strong sexual connection with and know well. That hasn't happened yet, so it's not ideal right now. But I think for me to not have sex, which I've done before, is not healthy either. So Alex is really sharing a dilemma of being a single man who is interested in being sexual beyond his addiction, but he doesn't have a partner yet, and he hasn't really determined what sober sex is going to look like. All he knows is that he doesn't want to be completely abstinent, and he doesn't want to be reckless. Right. Yeah. So he's trying to find that 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 medium ground, whatever that might be for him. So one of the questions that I asked in the book is, how do you integrate sex and intimacy? And I just want to preface this by saying that sex and intimacy don't always have to go together. If somebody has a friend with benefits or a sex buddy that they enjoy playing with, those are options, right? But some of the people who were interviewed in the book are, are very interested in integrating sex and intimacy. And this is what Mario had to say about that. By only engaging in sexual activity with somebody who knows and accepts me for who I am, I show up as a person and they show up as a person, not as a fantasy or a stand-in for porn. Yeah, so, so Mario, Mario is really speaking for those who are wanting to have monogamy in their life and wanting to have real sex, like real person-to-person -person sex, as opposed to porn sex or fantasy sex or, or that kind of thing. Not that, that there's anything wrong with some of those things, but this is just his approach. It's like a more emotional connection. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'm only speaking on behalf of women, and you only can speak on behalf of men. But um, I would say that there is a difference, and I don't know if you have any women 
um, clients or anything like that that you have information about. But I would think that women overall would tend more to have an emotional connection than the men. But, at times, but, at times. Yeah. Susan, who was in the book, actually comes from the, the industry of sex work. And so there was a real movement in her life, a real decision at some point to, to leave that industry and to find ways of uh, being more questioning of, of what really was meaningful for her and what was the kind of connection that she was looking for. So that's that extreme, but it really depends. I think that um, everybody is really looking for, I, I would say, some kind of deeper connection that comes in different shapes and forms, but whether it's men or women, there is a, generally a desire for deeper connection, which often does come through sex. We touched upon this a little bit about fantasy and sexual fantasy, um, and it's such a major part of sex addiction. Do you try to get rid of the fantasies, or how does that work? Well, the thing is, and it's such a good question, Sue, we're not getting rid of fantasy. We're not somehow trying to be fantasy police because fantasy can be very exciting right it can be something that can be brought into relationships really safely and respectfully if both individuals are open to that and and fantasy often can be a turn on fantasy can be something that can create some sexual juices mm -hmm. open to something beyond what's happening in the moment i mean unfortunately it can be taken to an extreme right so porn is pretty much all about fantasy. And that can sometimes take somebody into the abyss, right? Where, where people get lost in that. But fantasy that's used in healthier ways. I mean, I think BDSM folks are great examples of using lots and lots of fantasy. But what's interesting about BDSM is that there are very, very clear boundaries and agreements so that's what makes it safe and pleasurable and respectful. So would you consider that, I'm, I'm just a little confused, would you consider that also a part of sober sex? Can you have sober fantasy sex? If it's talked about and open between partners, I'm really talking about, this is my own bias, is that if there's emotional transparency, then it's, it's, fine. it's totally open. Okay. Now, I'm just going to quote one more person. Okay. Um, go back to Colin. And, and the question was this. All sex addicts generally get lost in fantasy. So how is fantasy a part of your life today? And Colin says, that is a tricky one for me. In my addictive pre-recovery days, fantasy was a way of escaping Today, fantasy can be a way to consider new possibilities for my sex life. But it's something I need to be mindful about because it's in the same part of my brain that went into unhealthy fantasy territory in the past. I need to be mindful that I'm not using it to avoid dealing with something deeper in my life. Right. So that's what I was wondering, like that, that line and how you cross it is just like he said, to be more mindful of it and to understand where it is and where it's going and where it's taking you. 
right? So the mindfulness is so important. And also that recognition to ask oneself, is this a form of avoidance? What am I avoiding? Or is it not? Right. Is there pleasure in it? Is it, is it reciprocated with your partner? Is, is there boundaries and all of those things? So I think when you say sober sex, that the definition of it should include that there's boundaries, there's, you know, there's definitely lines and um, obviously communication and mindfulness are, are big parts of that as well. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Because when you think of the word sober, of course, it comes up like people who are sober and, and who are alcoholics, it's without, it's the absence of alcohol, Right. But I guess it's also the absence of the desire for alcohol or not? Or is it the absence of the desire to have sex? And Remember when we talked about emotional sobriety mm -hmm. and how emotional sobriety, one of the hallmarks is feeling more like oneself, feeling more regulated, resilient, and buoyant in, in one's nervous system. That's really where I go with this is that sober sex is about being present, being okay. in the here and now. So again, all of that mindfulness is great to exactly. have that a part of That's the big right. picture. So in your book, you also discuss the possibility of integrating sex and intimacy in your life. Tell us more about what that means and how that might look. I'm going to go right to a quote from Alex because okay. I think he says it so well. And the question I had posed to him is, how do you integrate sex and intimacy? I'm not there yet. When I have sex, it's with somebody that I like. I don't necessarily know them completely. I want to reach the point when I'm able to say that I have the person, sorry, that I love the person I'm having sex with. So again, he, Alex keeps coming back to this idea that if we don't have a partner, if we don't have a monogamous relationship, there's all these questions of, well, how does sex and intimacy really fuse? How do they come together? And I believe that for many people, it's a wonderful goal, right? It's an intention that people hold towards having sex and intimacy working all in sync. But many times it's something that is elusive. I mean, 50% of the population is single. And so there's a lot of folks out there grappling with I this idea of how do I have more emotionally sober sex, more deeply connected sex, and not necessarily be in a long-term exclusive relationship. And again, I think it's such a soul searching to have these honest conversations about what is it that I really, really want and how do I explore and, and, do some trial and error to see what ultimately fits for me, whether I'm partnered or not. Do you think that our society will get rid of the taboos around this someday? Or do you think we're on that path? I wish I could say yes, but my heart says that we're in very divided times nowadays, that there's a more liberal half of our country and there's a more conservative part of our country. And I think the liberal half 
would really understand this conversation and be interested in what we're talking about. And I think the conservative half would have some trouble with it and would have challenges around some of the concepts that are being raised. So I think internationally, and that's really where I see this, like the World Health Organization is exploring what sexual health means to every single person on the face of the earth. And so the fact that in 2020, yeah. we are now looking at what that means to, to everyone in terms of mental, physical, sexual, I'll add spiritual health, is really a testimony to the open-mindedness and the open-heartedness that, that is happening more and more. It's just a very gradual process. Yeah, it seems like it's slow. It's even slow to the whole mental health umbrella. I think that there's still taboos around that. Exactly. Uh, but there's... we've seen those you know, get less and less as time's gone on, um, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. But um, the whole mental health and sexual health piece of the who uh, definition, you know, still has a ways to go. Right. There, there's still a lot of stigma and misunderstanding out there about addiction in general. And we're really talking today about something that is actually very taboo for a lot of folks. And I just want to make it more user-friendly. I mean, how can we have these conversations that can really open oneself to the possibilities and that's what really what we're looking at it is, is, is it the is communication yeah it's all about communicating right yeah excellent so once again my friend and producer sue merlino thank you so much for joining me and having this important conversation today yeah it's fantastic to talk about these things that need to be talked about thank you for listening today it was so terrific to have this conversation with my friend Sue and really talk about something that oftentimes is not talked about. And so I'm just really pleased to have this particular topic looked at more closely. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and we welcome your comments. And also you can share us on Spotify as well. And if there are things that you want us to discuss in the future, just, just let us know. And I do look forward to sharing more and more with you in, in future podcasts. And thanks again for being here today.